Welcome to the Mum Break Podcast, a place where you can feel normal, get helpful information, and laugh your ass off, hopefully without peeing your pants. I'm your host, Erica, and I have two kiddos. I am not a mom expert, but I do have a zillion hours of therapy under my belt and no filter. I'm on my own journey to find happiness, and I want to help you on the way to yours. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I, I'm super excited and sorry we can't do this in person. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> Courtney and I live like a kilometer away from each other. <laughs> and you said it really funny before we were talking. That's, uh, did you say like the cesspool of germs? Or you the used den to, of illness. The den of illness. I've, we've been, well, both of us actually have been living in den of illness. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I'm not letting you come into my house. I do not want to drag you down with me. So we're doing this um, with all this fabulous technology. So thank, thank you goodness. for taking one for the team. I really appreciate it. Oh gosh. We'll just tag team illness. It's, it's fine. That's <laughs> uh, what you get when you have the young kids. They're just snot factories. Yes. Petri dishes. Oh, so true. Okay. Uh, I know a lot about you, but I want everyone to get to know you and your story. But maybe before we jump in, you could tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So oddly enough, I always find this a tough question. I don't know why, um, but I'm a, I'm mom to two gorgeous girls. They are three and one. So as you can imagine, life literally never stops. And <laughs> while most days I want to pull my hair out, I wouldn't have it any other way. I also work full-time outside of the home if things weren't hectic enough in public health in a job that I absolutely adore. Um, and what most people do know about our family, if you do know us, um, is that we love travel. We've been so, 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 so fortunate um, to be able to embark on some pretty epic adventures with our kids all over the world. And uh, most people think we're absolutely freaking bonkers. Insane. A hundred percent insane. To travel with our kids, <laughs> but it's such a vital part of who we are. And it's reinforced so many lessons for us as a family from tolerance and patience, how to work together, overcoming challenges. And so it's, um, and really also like acceptance and the hardest one for me is going with the flow. So it's good for me to practice that on occasion. Um, but yeah, there's very few things I need beyond family and friends and a trip to plan, um, to keep me happy. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's sort of us in a nutshell. Well, it's so funny because, and I know I originally asked you on this podcast to talk about travel because you really embody all of the essence and quality, exactly what you said. It's all about family and you've given your family and your children these tool sets, because, the skill sets, because we saw each other, what was it, a couple of weeks ago at Starbucks now, Yeah, because <laughs> again, we live really close. And I didn't recognize you at first. I was tired and we were just in like a heavy Ottawa, Canada outdoor gear. And I was just sort of side eyeing you and your husband. And I kept thinking, holy crap, how are these young kids just sitting in their stroller? They're so calm. And I was so impressed and kind of a little bit jealous if I'm going to be totally honest. <laughs> but you, you have this incredible wisdom and experience that you're passing along to your kids now through your travels yeah it, it's not it's not always easy <laughs> um, they don't always sit in their strollers but no thank you for that it's it's always worth it though in the end the effort is always worth um 
the outcomes that you get and, and how you grow as a family. And hey, how often do you get to just not be home, not do laundry, not cook food oh, and so like hang out together without the rat race? So I'll take it any day. Yeah. And I love, you just need to keep your adventures so I can just watch you do them and live vicariously through you. But the funny enough, this is not what I'm actually asking you in the podcast to talk about today. Mm-hmm. You had a really wonderful, and I was so happy when you came up with the suggestion because I, I haven't done anything like this. I've never talked about anything like this before ever, but I want to start opening up the conversation to infertility and you very generously offered to share your experience with it. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, even to myself, (laughs) um, (laughs) that's what I came to talk about today. Um, There's a few reasons why I decided to come and start to share about this. Our story to parenthood is something that so few people know. Um, most people wouldn't even guess that it's something that we've gone through. It's something I haven't shared with many people at all, although I am starting to now, but it's something that's so, so common. So our story is so unique, but so common. I mean, in Canada, I think the latest figure is one in six couples struggle with this. Um, and it comes out right out of left field for most of us because we are bombarded with messages around safer sex and contraception, and rightly so, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but that we don't even expect that we're going to get like that actually getting pregnant could be an issue. Um, so if my story helps someone else um, reach out or just helps to know that someone else has gone through it as well, then, then I'm all for it. I love that so much. So maybe I, I would just love to open up the floor to you so that you could share your story and feeling, sharing whatever you feel comfortable with and we can just wing it and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, so sometimes I can't even really believe how long we've been at this. Um, we started trying, I'm air quoting the nobody, um, <laughs> to get pregnant in, uh, in 2013, believe it or not. Um, I remember having a conversation with my husband where we decided, oh, we'll wait until we get home from a trip we had planned to Southeast Asia. I stopped taking the pill. Um, I started taking prenatal vitamins. We were giddy cocky even why wouldn't we be like we were coming off decades of messaging around like how bloody easy it's going to be to get pregnant who knew it wasn't the case for everyone so like all of our friends were getting pregnant they were having babies and we thought we'd be next in line um well news flash to us it didn't and I'm a total total textbook type a I like hated this part the not knowing the waiting the patience my husband remained like cool, calm, and collected as he always does, which is infuriating as oh I'm sure gosh. you can imagine in the moment. Yes. But, his, but his evenness was exactly what we needed or rather I needed during, during this adventure we were sort of embarking on. So month after month, nothing, no flutters, no feelings, like not even a late period, everything just rolling along the way it always had. So we took baby making to the next level, bring on the ovulation kits, also known as the killers like of all romance. I mean, for those of you who are listening, who've gone down this path, nothing kills romance than like scheduling sex with your husband month after month after month and having it be just this intense period in the middle of the month. Like it's, it's just, it's awful. It turns it into a job. And so it's, it's truly a challenge. And, and like, I can really, I can just remember those days where you're like exhausted and you don't feel like it, but then maybe you feel like it on the weekend, but it's not quite time. So you save it and it's, it's awful. 
So as we sort of concentrated our, our efforts, if you will, the giddiness fell away and it sort of just stopped being fun. Um, I always kind of felt deep down that something wasn't right, um, but I had no control over it. I had looked it up and I knew, and I talked to my doctor, I knew that we couldn't get a referral to a fertility clinic until we'd been unsuccessful for a full year. And, and I know those of you who are out there listening, who've gone through that year long or whatever it is in your area, how long, however long you have to wait to get a referral, um, it can seem like a lifetime. Um, and I also knew that once here in Ontario, you got the referral, there was a significant waiting period to even get in for a consultation. So naturally, I was crushed. Um, so I didn't really have much, much agency and in much control over the situation. So um, I didn't know what to do as 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 much as I wanted to be able to take things into my own hands, I really couldn't, you know, like you're in school, you're stressed out about an exam. What do you do? You prepare for the exam, you study for it. There's things you can do, but there is just nothing I could do. I couldn't like do my standard over prepare myself into getting pregnant <laughs> as much as I wished I could. Um, so I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, but as many of you like, listening probably know when you're a woman of a, a certain age, especially if you're married, people, well-meaning, kind, loving, loving people can't resist asking when you're going to have kids. Friends ask, family ask, and you laugh it off because you're talking about it. it can, when you're talking about it, it often can make you cry. And who wants to be sort of the girl in tears Wednesday afternoon at work in the cafeteria because someone asked you, oh, you guys like have done a great job waiting to have kids. You've done it the right way. And you're like, I haven't. I didn't want to. I'm not trying to do this. <laughs> so, so, you know, like, so people are well-meaning, but it's, it's really like a culture shift where we have to be a little bit, a little bit careful, I think. But, but in any case, finally, we got into the clinic. And, and I have to say, we were greeted by the, in Ottawa here at the fertility clinic, we were greeted by the kindest, gentlest medical professional I have ever encountered in my whole life. He answered our questions, he laid out the path, ordered the tests, and gave us a bit of hope. And so, as I said, he, as, a, as an anxious type A, um, him really giving us a path forward um, really just helped me settle myself, settle my nerves. They were milestones sort of on a journey with an unknown destination, if you will, but I could do blood tests, check, I could up for that ultrasound check and it was these little pieces that sort of helped me sort of manage the stress and manage the anxiety that came came along with this sort of journey into the unknown and finally after months of testing we had a treatment plan and we would need to do a special kind of in vitro um, that involved a special procedure called um, ICSI which is a super long acronym for intracytous plasmic sperm injection for those of you who are interested. So yeah, so we, we had a path forward. So that's, that's kind of our, our journey. Oh, wow. I, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes and it, especially I can relate to the component of being a type A personality who appreciates control and at the very, very least taking away all of the other difficult challenges, not having control over something where you made such a good point. You're, you're being spoon fed information that 
you have to be careful about protection and that getting pregnant so easy. And then all of your friends are getting pregnant miraculously somehow first cycle. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine how hard that would be. So you now have this plan. You're like, Oh, I mean, I'm assuming at this point, like a year and a half into this really difficult journey, mm-hmm. what does, what do the next steps look like for you? And what does the next part of that journey look like? Yeah. So, so like I said, we needed to do IVF or in vitro and the acronym um, is ICSI. And so this is just one of the many protocol protocols, they call them that you can be assigned and it won't be the same for everyone. There may be more injections and medications for some or less more monitoring or less, but this is, this is sort of how it went for us. So for us to get our two girls that we have now, I did four rounds of hormones or injections. I have three egg retrievals. I did seven embryo transfers um, that resulted in two babies, one miscarriage, two chemical pregnancies, and I did countless monitoring and testing. And I just want to take a quick pause because why I fully appreciate how absolutely fortunate we are that we were able to finance um, some of this process because I know for so many people, the diagnosis that we got is sort of the end of the road. These procedures are so, so expensive. And so we're so fortunate that some of our meds were covered by our insurance plan through work, that um, some of the elements were covered. So some of the monitoring was covered by our our healthcare here in Canada and that we were able to save the money for two of the rounds, which gave us our first daughter. It took two full rounds. Our first round was entirely unsuccessful. Um, And I'm so, so grateful for that. And the other two were thankfully covered under um, new funding from the uh, Ontario government um, covering the procedure, which without that, we wouldn't have been able to have our second daughter. And so, so I just wanted to take a quick pause that I, I truly appreciate how, how fortunate we have been. But to go back to your question in terms of like, what are, what really happens? What's the next steps? There's some very distinct um, stages, if you will, for IVF. Um, and those of us in the world will know them very well. Um, so when you first start, they do what they call ovarian stimulation, which is where, um, you, I, I would give myself daily injections in the belly, lower abdomen of fertility medications that were designed to cause the growth of multiple follicles, which are what contain like the sacs that contain our eggs. And then a few days later, I would, in addition to that injection, give myself a second injection that would prevent me from ovulating because they want those eggs to mature, but they don't want them to be released. And so during this phase, I was monitored at some points with daily blood tests and ultrasounds to see progress. And when the doctor determined, usually after, I think between the four rounds, it was between seven to 12 or 13 days of injections, you're given one final injection that's called, or you bring it home, you do it yourself, called the trigger shot. Um, And so that triggers the final sort of maturation of the eggs before um, what is for most women, the most nerve wracking part of the process, which is the egg retrieval. It's the most medical part. Um, And it's the one where we don't know, like, have, have all these injections been working? What will it result in? Because there's no guarantees. So about a day and a half after you take that injections, um, you'll go for your egg retrieval procedure. And an ultrasound probe is placed um, in the vagina and a needle is passed through the vaginal wall into the ovary. And so it 
it's painful. It's, it's not nice. <laughs> um, the eggs are collected from the follicles, um, but they make sure to give you lots of pain uh, medication and relaxation meds to help you through the process. But I, I was awake. You always see in movies, they're asleep, which I think, I think that's an option, but it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't available here. It's interesting to just go off and go to sleep and come back. Um, but I, I also, with a bit of a curveball took because to further complicate things, I'm in a metaphobe. So, which means I have a fear of vomit and getting sick, which, oh, um, yeah. So I ask for the minimum amount of meds because I don't want to feel loopy and nauseous when I'm sort of coming, coming out of it. So, um, I asked for the minimum amount and so I definitely felt things, but, um, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as sort of my initial Googling had made me think it was going to be, which, which I found reassuring. Um, but so definitely controllable. The, the subsequent egg retrievals I had hurt a bit more because they're scar tissue. Mm. Um, but in general, um, it wasn't too bad. So for those of you who are, are coming up to this procedure, um, it seems super, super, super scary. Um, but what I've learned in this, in this area of reproductive health, these doctors are, are absolutely fabulous at, um, at walking you through the procedure. And really, in a way that I haven't seen in other areas of medicine, just really holding your hand and, and that kind and gentle touch. They know you're there because you've sort of been through it. Um, and you're, you're there for your sort of last chance, if you will. Um, and so they're so, so kind. Um, so yeah, so after that, you get sort of your report. How many eggs did you, um, how many eggs were retrieved? Husband goes and gives the sperm sample. And because we did what I mentioned earlier, ICSI, they select sort of the best sperm and inject them into my eggs. And so it's a very one-on-one <laughs> procedure. Um, and so they call you the next day and they just let you know, um, how many were fertilized. And so I can't remember exactly, but we, I think we got say 12, 12 eggs. Um, and then six were, were successfully fertilized from our first round. And then a few days later, only three were basically viable to be put back in one at a time for us, of course, but, um, only, so it's not the, it sort of goes down over time. So you sort of have to sit there and just wait and hope that at least one or two or three survive this process. Um, and then you go back in for an embryo transfer, um, which for me is by far the worst part of all of it because it essentially involves a procedure that's similar to a pap smear that would last about five or six minutes with a full bladder. And so oh, the geez. embryo is placed back into the uterus using a soft catheter and it's like a little blast of air and you can watch it on the screen, which is kind of fun. And also, oh yeah, like five to six minute long pap smear with a full bladder with an ultrasound tech pushing on the outside (laughs) with the probe so they can watch where it's going. So yeah, so that one for me, like I hate having to go pee. So like (laughs) it is just brutal. You can watch the clock and the seconds tick by. Um, But what is super, super cool is if you're successful and if you get a baby, they give you a picture of that teeny tiny embryo and where it landed. So you get this like day one picture of your little babe. And so, so that's really, really cool. Um, if you are, if you are able to be successful, um, but yeah, so any good, um, quality embryos, they freeze. 
And then you sort of start the yucky process of progesterone, which is basically like if you've ever had a yeast infection and have used like Monistat, those little tablets you stick up, it's like that every day until your pregnancy test. So you have to do that. Um, I think it was three times a day for like two and a half weeks. It was disgusting. Um, but if it helps, helps us get pregnant, I was totally willing, um, to do it. So yeah, so that's sort of the steps that there's, it's a long process, it seems, but it's all sort of within month long periods, if you will. It's so much. And so all like, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things going through my head right now, but one of the things that is bringing to mind is how does this, this is such a complex, but also time consuming process. So these are a lot of different appointments. They are a lot of different steps and sort of for lack of a better word, labor intensive. Yeah. How do you manage that while you're still working full time? Like how, how does someone go about fitting this into your daily life? Yeah. So I struggled with that at the beginning because I wanted to sort of keep it close um, because I wasn't sure what would happen. But ultimately what really helped us was I, one of the few people that I told was my, was my boss. I, I told her like, look, this is what we're, we're going through and we're going to have these appointments and some of them are going to be based on them taking a blood test or like the results of a blood test and then saying, you know what, you're good to go in two days. And so I'm not going to be able to have a lot of control over that. And I'm, I'm so, so grateful. She was fantastic and understanding. And I, and again, I, I, I can appreciate, I have a desk job. So if, if I need to, I can work from home. Um, and I do have like sick days as needed. And, and so I'm, I'm super fortunate in that regard as well, um, to have that flexibility. But I think for me, just being open and honest, um, with my, with my boss was super, super helpful in, in reducing that one level of stress. Because for the first bit, I was sort of running around like a chicken with my head cut off, looking at trying to get 7am appointments and mm-hmm. off work and, and never skipping a beat when really I'm like going through this like crazy experience. And so just having sort of her on side helped tremendously. I want to take a really quick pause here and just talk to you about the sponsor, me, (laughs) my stuff. Sorry, but I have created a new digital house of tools for moms. It's digital.mumbreak.ca. On that digital house, I have a whole bunch of free resources and I'm just going to be continuously adding more. I have things like a Costco grocery list template, a mom blocking guide, toddler and kindergarten activities for dummies, the exact household cleaning system that I use with my family, ultimate chore list, which helps save my marriage, 10 ways to reconnect with your partner after kids. There's so many things on there. So if you want to go check that out, go to digital.mumbreak.ca. Thanks for listening, guys. No, that I mean, that's such a good point. And especially for those who are going through the same thing, who are maybe in that state of just trying to do everything when it's really just quite the emotional toll too. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about the physical and emotional toll that the IVS treatments take you from me, from someone who hasn't gone through that, I can only imagine what the physical and emotional toll this would take. Can we talk a little bit about even side effects? How does this affect you in a way that people don't realize? Well, sort of the, there's the, there's the physical side effects and, and the best way to describe it is like, 
a, a, a bout of PMS like none other. Um, there's like the fatigue, the bloating, your injection site is sore. There can be bruising, cramping, nausea, headaches, your irritable mood swings. And so those are the physical ones. And again, for me, just my personality, those are a bit more manageable for me, but the mental side was a, a lot more challenging, sort of like maintaining a positive attitude. I found it super, super challenging. Um, I mean, people who do fertility treatments, you often get, you get your, your blood confirmed sort of pregnancy test way, way earlier than most people would even take a home pregnancy test. So you get the highs and lows. I mean, I mentioned earlier, I had two chemical pregnancies, which technically means that, yes, it did work a little bit, but that embryo was never really ever going to develop into a baby. It was just not viable. There was something something wrong with it. And for most people, that, that might just be experienced as a period that was a couple of days late, and they wouldn't even think twice about it. Um, knowing that you sort of have limited number of tries or attempts to have a baby um, that was hard for me to wrap my head around. You know, you get, like I said before, you get your, oh, I have three embryos from this round. I have three chances. And just sort of grappling with that and, and not placing sort of like putting all your chips into this basket, like this forced basket is really, really hard and sort of trying to figure out how to then deal with the, the people at work or the, or your friends who ask, Hey, how many kids do you guys want to have? And in your Mm. head, you're thinking, well, I might not even be able to have one. So how many isn't super, super relevant for me right now. And so trying to figure out how to answer those. One of the other things that, that I did that maybe is just unique to me because I'm a little bit weird about these things sometimes, but we didn't tell a lot of people about our journey. Um, it was a form for me of self-preservation. Um, and even those that we did tell initially, we sort of stopped providing regular updates as the rounds went on and, and we continued on the path because we, well, I say we, but it was mostly me. Um, I felt as though through like, as if through osmosis, the hope, the worry, the concern from family and friends um, was just like, it was too much for me to sort of carry with my own anxiety and stress about it. Um, And I didn't want to feel badly for sort of like, it felt like I was disappointing people. It didn't work and sort of they get all wrapped up in it. And I also found it really, really hard to answer questions and give updates and whether we felt anything or thought anything worked. And, and the only thing I can really compare it to maybe for, for some people listening is, you know, when you're 40 weeks pregnant and the texts start coming in, do you, do you feel like you're going into labor or has anything happened? What do you like, what's going on? And you're just like, oh, guys, I would not, not tell you if I was having a baby, like just... <laughs> Like I'm, I'm ready to be done. I don't need the constant reminders that I'm still pregnant guys. So it's kind of like that. And, and it's all well-meaning, but I, I found it really hard to sort of retell the story. No, this one didn't work. Or you know what, this one was successful, but I don't want to talk about it yet because who knows, I had that miscarriage the last cycle. And so that was, I found super, super challenging. And so I would just recommend anyone think about your own sort of personality, your own style. Um, you might want to pull way more people in and have a wider sort of support network. I felt the need to sort of close it off a bit um, and control it a bit more because I was just getting bombarded with questions. And I, I started to feel like a sick 
person, like as if I was sick mm. with an illness when all we were trying to do is have a baby. So they didn't really need to worry about my, my health and in, the, in my physical health, I was okay. Um, and I just, I just didn't like that feeling. It was, it was hard for me. Um, so that was one of the big ones. And, and obviously the relationship, I mean, somehow the relationship with your partner, like it grows and it suffers at the same time. Like I mentioned, like trying to have a baby, especially trying to have a baby over the course of years, um, is kind of a romance killer. Um, but at the same time coming out on the other side of the journey, like has brought us closer. I mean, this is the guy who sat there with his little like medical cap on and held my hand as like someone stuck a needle, um, into me to suck Mm. my eggs out. Right. So like, it's a whole different kind of intimacy there and closeness, um, that, that really, really is like, again, like in some ways I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, but it's, it's hurt us in a lot of ways. Um, that we found like parts of our relationship that we found super easy sort of when we were newly married and, and so on. So, um, so yeah, that's certainly something we're, we're sort of working on now that we're sort of on the other side. Did you find that there was anything that really helped from a really, cause I mean, that was one of the, when I asked people on Instagram, if they had any questions around this topic, one of the biggest struggles was dealing with the relationship of a partner throughout mm-hmm. this process. Was there anything that you found that helped um, either yourself or your husband in, in this journey to, I mean, really from any perspective, what helped, what maybe didn't help? Um, I think when we found ourselves in situations where things were particularly challenging, I think giving each other the space to, to feel the feelings in some cases to grieve a loss, um, be each other's hope and support system when the other one was having sort of a down day. And I'll be quite honest, my husband was by far the one providing more hope in this direction over here. Um, and, and just communicating. I mean, some, sometimes you're, you know, it's, it's, it's never about the thing you're fighting about just being able to sort of take a step back and, and say like, what, it, we, we don't need to be disagreeing about, I don't know, whether we're going to have pizza for supper. <laughs> we're like actually kind of upset about this and, and just sort of, you know what, recognizing that and sitting with it and, and that being okay. And knowing that ultimately, you know, you're in this because you, you care for each other, you love each other and you want to build a family together and, and not forgetting that in the process. So um, to me, that's, that would help just communicating, say like, you know what, I'm having a day, I need some space and, and, having your partner be like, okay, it's not a personal thing against me. It's just trying to sort stuff out in your own head. You know what? Oh, I don't know that you were, were you at the last meeting that we, we had with, um, where we all did therapy? <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> okay. So what you guys, um, are listening, this was the most obscure comment and we, I hadn't planned to talk on this about this, but essentially, uh, we're in a uh, sort of group where we, with Ottawa bloggers. So we chat and we meet monthly. And <laughs> last month or the month before, we did a session on how to, I don't even know how to describe this, but basically just how to not let social media bring you down, like the negativity of it suck you down. But it turned into like a group therapy session. But all that to say, I'm trying to just set the stage because one of the things that I found it was my light bulb moment for the night and it was how to communicate with your partner or whoever it is 
that you need space and that you need time. And it's setting, and I'm going to butcher this and I'm going to butcher how the, how this is described because I'm by no means a medical therapist professional, but it's about taking a scale from one to 10, let's say 10 being you're having the best day, you're fine, all is good. One means, um, and I'm trying to set this to context, one means like I need help, call the doctor kind of thing. Yeah. Let's say in the context of postpartum depression, because that's sort of a common one. It's, it's how to tell your partner what you need in that moment without getting into the nitty gritty of, oh, I'm feeling really bad about X, Y, and Z, because in that moment, you often don't want to say that. So it's about ahead of time, assigning a number to that action. So it would be something along the lines of, you just say three and they know that they need to back away and that they need space because it's already a predetermined number. Right. And I that's think a, in, that's interesting. Yeah. And again, I, I apologize. I'm not explaining it as clearly as I think I could, but it's, <laughs> I think it's the, the idea is that essentially it takes away some of the challenges and the miscommunication in communicating with your partner when you are trying to identify what you need. And it's something that we've implemented and it's been really helpful. So, I'll flush it out in a blog post another time and link it up, but I think it would be really useful. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can totally see that because sometimes in those moments, you just, I wish I could tell my colleagues like, hey, four, like back yeah. off. <laughs> Get away. I can't, I can't do having, it with you right now. I'm having a four day. <laughs> four. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So speaking of numbers, kid number two. <laughs> this is my transition. I see that super smooth segue there. I tried. Nailed it. Okay, thanks. Millie. So you had your first daughter, Millie. Yeah. And then you, like you said, you were fortunate enough to have the funding and the finances to um, try to increase your family to have another child. My brain goes to, first of all, how do you manage going through this super emotional, super physical, super time and labor intensive process with a baby or a toddler running around? It ain't easy, uh, <laughs> but you just kind of make it work, right? Like as so many things, right? Like it, you just, you kind of have to go with it. It is chaos on the best of days. Um, and we always knew we wanted more kids if more than one kid, if we could. And when that funding from the government came in, um, that would allow us because we wouldn't have been able to f- afford another round on our own. So when that funding did come in, we were so, so fortunate and we sort of jumped on the waiting list. And so we knew that that was sort of a sign that we would try for a second. Um, I w- I'm fortunate and not, I know a lot of women are not comfortable giving themselves injections. And so I was quite comfortable to do that myself. Um, so really it was for my husband to sort of, you know, make sure and keep our toddler away from the action. He also like majorly picked up the slack when I was too tired or sore to, you know, mom that day. Um, and he really just sort of took, took the lead and I could lay on the couch and just, just be exhausted. Um, thankfully a lot of the monitoring appointments are, are during the daytime. So she would be at daycare. Um, so that helped a lot as well. And we just sort of cross our fingers that, um, she wouldn't be sick that day. Um, I leaned on for the second um, one, my, I call them my mom group, um, my little village here in Ottawa. They, one girl during one of the procedures um, had, had Millie over for a play date so we could go and not have to worry about her. So, um, cause we have no, we have no family 
here in in town. So so we really had to to find ways and and be a bit um, creative with with how we managed it. I love that so much, and I it's 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 so impressive. And I, I was going to use the word crazy, but I think it's so impressive to reach out and to ask for help because I think that's how we traditionally used to, people traditionally used to parent in the past mm-hmm. very much in the community sense. But I, I know very few people who will reach out and ask for help for something like that. So I, I love that you were so motivated and so brave and courageous to go towards something you wanted and to just make it happen. Yeah. It, it, like I said, like it wasn't easy and it, it wasn't always, it wasn't a natural um, thing for me at all. Um, but um you know, I thought if the, if the situation was reversed somehow and I knew someone going through it, I would, of course I would watch their kid or of course I would do whatever I could to help and whatever they needed. And so, so I tried to look at it from that perspective and really if the option was sort of carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders or ask and not having a chance at a second or asking for help, the choice, the choice at that point became quite, quite easy. And and so I'm, I'm so thankful for, for the group of women as like I've amassed here in, here in Ottawa that I know I can sort of message or, or call, call upon at any time. And I know they'll be there to help. That's amazing. Now, in terms of infertility with the second child, I, I don't know much about it, but I, I've heard that it's, I, I'm assuming for you and your husband, you sort of knew what to expect going into the second because it was a similar uh, maybe not outcome is the wrong word, but it's a similar procedure and process yeah. because it's yeah. the same sort of diagnosis. Yeah. Do you know of many women who will just spontaneously have difficulty conceiving for this, the second or infertility issues with the second where they were unable to initially conceive no problem with the first? Is that common or what's yeah, that I've, like? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 um, I know a couple of people personally who got, got pregnant very, very quickly with their first. And then for seemingly sort of no reason at all, um, it either took a very, very long time with their second or they needed to, to sort of go through the system, if you will, um, and, and go seek out maybe what, what was going on. And for some, it's quite simple. It could be, um, that there's something as simple as a cyst or a fibroid that has developed, um, there's obviously there's lots of different situations. Sometimes it's just like a residual effect of the hormonal changes that you went through with your previous pregnancy. And those just need to level out. I know, I know one, um, woman who was recommended to just sort of go on the pill for a few months and regulate hormones and then go off, um, and then try and, 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 and see how it went from there. So it's, it's, um, yeah, talk about coming out of left field. Like you think you're you're set once you have one, um, on your own. And so you wouldn't expect, you would expect it to be exactly the same for your second. Um, so, so yeah, for us, it was quite, it was quite, um, predictable if you will, because we knew we, nothing had changed. We hadn't become more fertile over time, um, as much as we would have liked to, um, so, so yeah. Now looking back and uh, I mean, you look back on your journey, you have your two, your girls are so freaking cute. It's ridiculous. Thank you. They're like tiny little, oh God, they're cute. But look, looking Thank back. Thank goodness. The, Cause they drive me nuts. <laughs> uh, I honestly, there's a reason why these kids, like there's, uh, yes, yes. Yes, they they I we can like just put them up for sale one day if you want to. We could get some good money for them. <laughs> because Austin would yeah, I'll get rid of I'll lease them out for the day. 
<laughs> if you're looking back at this whole journey now, what what strikes you or what sort of sticks out as the hardest part of this journey for you? Um, <clears throat> for me, I think it was definitely that first that first year where we really had all the sort of hope and anticipation in the world and it wasn't happening and we had no answers and we had no real means or mechanism to get the answers because it's within the realm of normal, um, sort of the outer boundary of normal, but to take sometimes up to a year to get pregnant. And so no one really takes you quite seriously until you've, you've gone through that. And so, um, for me, that was the hardest part the only, like, you know, the saying about like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result mm-hmm. is like the definition of insanity or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what it felt like. I, I felt deep down in my core, something was wrong. Um, and, but you know, you still have to go through and, and do it like month after month, you have to, you know, do the ovulation tests and then like, make sure you're trying at certain periods and, and, and it's just exhausting and you feel like there's no end in sight. Um, so for me, absolutely, by far, that was the most challenging part. Now, I have to ask, and you can say, we hadn't discussed this ahead of time, but totally just say pass if this is something you don't feel comfortable answering. But does this whole process and that whole year of trying, does that change your perspective on, how do I say this, on intimacy with your partner? Like, Has that shifted or shaped in any way how you're intimate with your partner long-term or is it just part of the journey? I think, I think it's part of the journey. I think a lot of um, people who are listening who have young kids know that in of itself changes <laughs> intimacy. So we just got to jump start <laughs> on that. Um, so, so certainly it's something we are actually now like, you know, like I said, we don't have family in town. Like we have not been on a proper date since our first was born. She is three and a half. Um, so it's, um, it's definitely taken a bit of a, a hit, uh, like I'll be completely honest, but, um, I don't think it has, has it has changed, um, for the long term Cause I think we both recognize sort of the reasons behind it. And, and now that we're sort of coming out the other side with, with a kid, who, not only the, the, the infertility process, the process of, of treatment and so on, but also having a kid who now sort of regularly sleeps through the night. And, mm-hmm. and, and so now there's a bit more time and energy to sort of focus on some of those other things. It's crazy how it, it, it's so funny because when I talk about anything parenting related, it all ties back to whenever the youngest learns to sleep. <laughs> Literally anything. It could just be my happiness, my fitness, my yeah. intimacy. Like it's all tied back to sleep of the kid. It's crazy. Yeah, life, life begins once again. <laughs> 100%. Now, what I'm really curious to know, and, and mostly selfishly from my perspective, is how to speaks to support provide help to someone who's going through this situation what can I say what can't I say I I want so badly to be sensitive and to support and help but I like a lot of people probably don't know what the right thing to say is what the wrong thing is to say I I just truly want to help but I I don't want to offend anybody I just want to be there so in your experience and speaking with some other friends who have dealt with the same thing what's your suggestion or guidance on that? So the number one piece of advice is just listen. Um, usually if someone has now chosen to open up to you, 
Um, it probably wasn't that easy for them to get there. Um, so just listen, don't try and fix the problem or necessarily even give advice. Um, because probably they've done enough Googling and research, um, for a lifetime, um, and are just, you know, wanting to vent or express themselves. But the second piece is if you can't help yourself and there's those among us who can't help themselves and you just need to do something, ask them, ask them how you can help them or how you can support them. Don't assume. And uh, 100% do not tell them to just relax. Oh God. Um, <laughs> wouldn't tell someone with diabetes or like a broken foot to relax it better. Um, <laughs> That's such a good analogy. Right? Like so many times, oh, you just relax, do some yoga. You'll, you know, oh, God. people be... told you that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because so, Yoda, yoga will fix the problem. Yoda might. But... <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I do love my Star Wars. Yoda actually probably could fix everything. He probably could. He's, he's, he's the force. <laughs> um, but also don't tell them. Another thing that I found often was like, don't tell them that time. Um, your friend of a friend or this girl you know from work who did X, Y, or Z and then bam, got pregnant. For the infamous, as soon as we stop trying, that's when we got pregnant story. Like, we don't need to hear that. Like, I'm like, cool. Thanks. Like, good for you. I'm, I'm sure that's fantastic. And I would love for that to happen to me. But honest, honestly, like, I'm telling you now, I'm going through, like, hormone injections. I like, let, Let's go. Let's just calm down now. So. Like, just take a pause. I'm going to go yeah. put a needle in my stomach and you can yeah. chill the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. Okay. And I'm assuming... This, is, this goes back to a bigger picture of talking about family planning. And I, I know I'm so careful to avoid talking. I so badly want to talk about and ask things like, when's the next kid? But I always slap myself and just don't ask. People will tell me when they're ready. But is, is that, do you find something that we should just start taking into common practice is not assuming and not commenting on family planning, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it could be that... It could be that they're struggling with infertility. It could be that they've just had like a really hard conversation where they've decided they don't want to have kids and they're still, you know, like it could even be a choice. It could be that you're in the presence of someone who hasn't found a partner yet and is still one. You know what I mean? Like you don't know who's around and you don't know the situation of the person you're talking to. So I, I think if someone wants to offer it, then go right for it. Cause some people will, they'll be like, Oh, I can, when I have kids, I can't wait. And I want this and I want that. But if someone is being like a little bit quiet, a little bit reserved, I, I definitely don't, don't prod and don't, <laughs> don't poke. Don't be like, you know, I remember when I was in my first trimester with Millie and I didn't have a drink of wine and the girl was like, are you pregnant? Like in the front of everyone. And I was like, ah, <laughs> shut up, shut up, like, shut up, shut up. Come on, come on now. And so, so yeah, so just just chill on the family planning questions. Like ask about something else. Um, people will share when they want to. And if they're not sharing, it might just be for a reason. I always feel so strongly for, especially the people who've just decided kids aren't in their future. That's a very legitimate choice, but I, I'm, I feel sad for them because they are genuinely going to be asked for the rest of their lives. When are you having kids? Why aren't you having kids? Where blah, 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 blah. Like, why can't people just, or people who decide to only have one, like one is a perfectly fine number of children regardless yeah. of whatever reason you're only having one like <laughs> yeah. yeah like or do you think you change your mind like oh well you'll see one day you'll see that'll like yeah cool thanks oh man all the opinions now actually and the advice 
Ironically enough, I'm about yeah. to ask you for your advice. <laughs> Here we go. See, all these segues tonight are really smooth. You're, you're, yeah, I'm you're, doing good. You're spot on tonight. You're Thank spot you. on. I brought my A game for you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am genuinely curious to know, though, if let's say you were to go back and talk to 2013 you, mm-hmm. what one piece, well, one, whatever, how many ever pieces of advice you want to instill your wisdom on? what would you say to that person? How would you help them? No two situations are the same, but I would love to hear your guidance. Um, It's okay to like truly just take a step back and say no to things. I, for so long, I have a hard time um, saying no. I want to be a part of things. I want to participate. I want to go out and see my friends. And I think trying to keep that up sometimes was to my detriment because I just was just exhausted mentally and physically. So don't, don't be afraid to sort of take a step back for a period and just sort of, you know, reserve your energy and your, and, and everything for, for this process. Um, And in a world sort of of infertility where you feel like literally nothing is your choice. um, You can choose who you reach out to, how you reach out to them, who you bring in, like I said, I chose to limit the circle because I felt it was easier for me that way. But you may be someone who needs to tell more people. Um, be open with your partner. Um, like I said, that was super important. Um, and actually something I found really, really helpful was I joined these online forums um, of people going through this process. And so I think it's just like IVF.ca um, has these forums of people and you can join based on the month of your treatment. And so you are in there with these people using these crazy acronyms, like, I don't know, like it's like three days past five day transfer. And it means nothing unless you're in that world. <laughs> um, but they're so helpful because they're feeling the same things as you going through the same roller coaster. And so maybe, maybe that's a good place for you to reach out, but just, just think about what works for you and, and don't try to make everyone else happy. Um, it's, it's your process. It's, it's your pain. It's your joy. It's your hope. It's, it's all of those things rolled into one. So I would, I would concern myself less with others for a brief period and, and take more time for myself. I love that so much. Honestly, I, I can't begin to thank you enough for being so candid and so open with your experience. I, I'm so grateful you trusted me to be able to do this on this podcast and I, I know for a fact that this will help many, many, many people. So I just, I really want to say thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I'm choosing 2020 will be my year where I challenge myself to do new things. And this is certainly outside of my <laughs> normal comfort zone. So, so I thank you for, for letting me share my story. Now, if people want to come and follow along on your crazy, exciting, wonderful journeys through traveling with two young children, you crazy, brave, wonderful human (laughs) you, (laughs) where can they find you? Uh, The best place is Instagram. We're at from Yao with love. Um, And Yao is the Ottawa airport code for those of you um, wondering. So that's from Y-O-W with love. Amazing. So I'll, I'll link all that up and I can link up your website as well. Awesome. And, and honestly, just go check her out because the things that she's done with these kids and the lines that you've waited in with two <laughs> young children, I, I aggressively stalked your last trip and I was like, 
I couldn't even get my kid to sit on the couch and watch Peppa Pig for the amount of time that you were like in a tenth of that line. So you are amazing. And again, I really appreciate all of this. Oh, thank you. No, it's, it's been great. 